You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Grow Show. Today on the show, we have Craig Hardinger, lead pastor of Arcade Church. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Craig, tell me a little bit about your church history, how you guys came to be, what's the backstory, uh, maybe the original call, and how God has placed you in your current Arcade role. Arcade Church's history. Yes. On both. Okay. Well, Arcade uh, Arcade Church was planted back in 1950. Um, we were uh, began became a, a, a daughter church of Central Baptist Church in the Oak Park neighborhood in Sacramento, and uh, they had a long history of being involved in missions and and strong Bible teaching by Pastor Lee Toms, who was here for about 40 years, and so I stand kind of on his shoulders and the shoulders of Daniel Henderson and people like that. Um, for me personally, I was born and raised in Idaho, raised in a, in a Christian home, and and uh, Christ was modeled uh, every day in my life by my mom and dad, and and uh, I'm very grateful for that heritage. Um, I didn't really want to be a pastor, but was involved in circumstances that were involved local church ministry, and uh, probably about 19 or 20 years old, I developed a, a very strong affection for the local church, and and just kind of moved into. Um, associate pastor. I've been a lead pastor for about 30 years. Um, this is my third church as lead pastor here at Arcade Church. And so it's, I mean, there, there any not any lightning bolts from heaven or verbal calls from God. It's just as I look back, just a very strong, conspicuous thread of God's sovereign care in my life to move me into the preaching ministry and local church ministry. Very cool. So just a, a consistent weight on your heart. It is. It really is. Yeah. I mean, and and usually for me, he starts with the desires. Uh, when I first went in the ministry, I did not want to preach. I didn't want to be a lead pastor. I was perfectly happy to deal in small groups. I was a college pastor in the Bay Area and and enjoyed it, loved it. And all of a sudden, God began to plant a desire to teach and preach the word and, and, uh, and then move me into more of a pulpit type ministry. Uh, for which I'm grateful. I just I didn't see that coming. I I I, I wasn't really planning to be that, but uh, so God surprised me with that. Interesting. So what have, what's been one of your hardest lessons you've learned leading your leading Arcade Church? Well, I mean, for for me, I spent the bulk of my pastoral career as a small country pastor. Um, the the two previous towns that I served in before this one are smaller than my congregation here at Arcade. And so my learning curve for the last six years since I've been here has been the vertical position, just because I've never had a staff this size. I've never had a congregation this size. And so it seems that every day I'm learning something new about leadership, about being a shepherd of a flock of people that I may or may not know very well. Uh, I'm not used to that still. Um, but I, I love the learning process. You know, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of challenges. I've, I've got a great staff here, and the elders are wonderful men, and, and so I'm very honored uh, to, to pastor here. 
That's awesome. So how long have you been the lead pastor at Arcade? Uh, a little over six years. Okay. Very cool. That's awesome. So can you share one or two examples of maybe the most exciting things that you've seen God do through Arcade and through you? Uh, well, I think it's probably in, in the years that I've been here at Arcade, the exciting thing for, for us, I think, has been the demographic change. Um, as you probably know, you know, Sacramento is a very diverse uh, city. Uh, racially, culturally, and we're becoming more and more that. And uh, we've always had a very large Slavic membership here at our church. We have a Slavic service on Sunday nights, but we probably have, I don't know, probably three or 400 people from Slavic descent from that culture that attend here, even the English-speaking services. Um, but we've also had this very large influx of people from uh, the Arabic countries, and so we have a, a service now in Arabic for them that runs concurrently to our second service. And the neat thing for me is that the demographic of Arcade typically was a typical suburban church that we were white, middle class. And very quickly in the last four or five years, we have become very multiracial, multicultural. And it, there's been some growing pains with that just because we're, we're learning how not to step on each other's toes. Right. But we're just loving that our growth has been younger families uh multiculturally and uh, that's been exciting for the older members who've been here since the 60s since the 50s uh to see that kind of growth and we're beginning to reflect our neighborhood uh we're, we're growing in the african-american population the asian population certainly the arabic and slavic populations and and we've really enjoyed that that's brought a, a flavor to our fellowship that we wouldn't have if those cultures weren't present that's really interesting. What do you think has brought about that change? Well, I think due in large part to our neighborhood changing. Um, our neighborhood has become very multiracial, multigenerational, and we're committed to making sure that our congregation reflects the neighborhood. It probably doesn't just yet, but we're moving in that direction. Uh, but also we deal with those issues. We, we, we welcome, we on a fairly regular basis, we want to welcome people from different races different cultures, obviously because of the racial tension in our country now. Uh, there have been uh, pockets where we've addressed that uh, aggressively, and we want to make sure that the gospel is this gospel that that accentuates race. It doesn't nullify it. It doesn't minimize it. And uh, so it, part of it is a discipleship issue, but also I think it's just, it's just reflecting our neighborhood. People are coming from our neighborhood, and they're typically not white middle class people anymore. They're they're Persian, they're Arabic, they're Russian, they're Ukrainian, uh, Asian, Hispanic, and and we're good with that. And then also probably another thing to answer your question, Zach, too, is we have just recently established a very aggressive relationship with the SAC Food Bank. And um, we are really enjoying that relationship. Uh, they come once a month on Thursdays and they use our parking lot to dispense food to people within the neighborhood. And for example, they came just last Thursday and they gave out enough food for uh, 450 people in about 45 minutes. Wow. And a lot of these, and, and our staff is out there with them, you know, meeting them, hopefully getting names. And, and because it's just, it's, it's the, it, it's, it's a, a representation of our country, of our neighborhood, because it's people of all races and, and then right next door to that, um, 
in the same parking lot, APC comes and they bring alternate pregnancy center. They come with their mobile van and, and they're parked right next to the truck by SAC food bank. And it's just an opportunity to use asphalt parking lot to minister to people within their neighborhood in, in different ways. That's really cool. It's a, a beautiful picture of a, a, a reflection of what the big C church will look like. All nations, all people groups coming together under one under one king. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's really cool. That's awesome. Good for you guys, and that's that's exciting. So that seems like it would bring a lot of challenges, though, having so many different cultures, so many different races, all in one congregation. It has has there been some challenges that have come out of that? Or oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, every every Sunday there are challenges. Um, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, I just I just saw that connection was lost on my computer, so I I didn't know if I lost you or not. Um, yeah, the, the challenges. I mean, you, you you get a bunch of people together that in any other arena wouldn't hang out together or love each other, and there's going to be stumbling and stepping on toes. And uh, the Slavic community they have a certain way to do things. The Arabic church has a certain way of doing things. Um, African-Americans, they, they embrace the gospel in a way that probably white middle-class Americans don't. And we're committed to not ma- to making sure that the Russian Christians don't become American Christians and the African-American Christians don't become white Christians. We, we want their accent of their race and their culture to enhance what we do. And, th- and that, that can be difficult sometimes, but it, it, it is worth the effort. It really is. Yeah. Definitely. That's really cool. So you guys obviously have a very unique, it sounds like a very unique congregation because it's so multi multiracial, multicultural. So with that unique congregation, how are you guys crafting your storytelling and, and um, yeah, kind of how, how are you presenting the gospel in a way? Because the gospel is is relevant cross-culturally. So we don't, there's not anything we need to change about the gospel. It's going to be the gospel regardless of who you're talking to, but how are you, how are you crafting your storytelling to speak to that audience and present that gospel in a way that is what it is? You know, I, I mean, just as you're asking that question, I think I'm going to answer it the way that you answered it in the sense that when the, when the gospel is delivered, um, it has the the gospel itself has the power to transcend culture and race, mm-hmm. and I, I think the place where we make a mistake is we try to customize it for a specific group of people, and when you do that, you automatically unintentionally exclude another group of people, and and so the like when, for example when you read the book of Acts, um, there are several sermons preached in the book of Acts. And, and they all have basic components of the gospel. Obviously, Stephen's sermon is to a bunch of Jews. Peter is preaching to a bunch of Jews a couple of times. And Paul is preaching to Gentiles. And they're, they're crafting their sermons to that audience. But it still has the same basic components of the gospel. And, and I think that that's been one of the draws, Zach, to RK Church with the different cultures is that we're not trying to be someone we're not. I, I, you know, I'm 58 years old. I'm, I'm a white guy raised in Idaho. Um, I never pastored black people till I came to Arcade. I never met a Russian until I came to Arcade. Um, I, I've never 
really known a lot of Hispanic people. I've never known Arabic people, but I think the people come here because we keep the message about Jesus and the gospel. And Jesus, through the power of his spirit, has a way of transcending and, and going through culture. And I think that's just a testimony of the power of the gospel. So we, we really haven't been intentional in trying to reach out to people groups except to have a Slavic service and have an Arabic service. But that's primarily because of language barriers, not because of cultural barriers. Right. Um, because, uh, for example, uh, my assistant was just talking to an individual the other day, uh, a couple of Arabic young men in our hallway uh, during the service, and they had just gotten into America two days before that. And so they are fresh into American soil. They don't know a lick of English. And so it's imperative that for that first generation of immigrants, we have an Arabic service for them. Our Slavic service is getting a little lower in number only because the language barrier is going away. And uh, so we don't need to have as many Russian services as we once did maybe 10 years ago. Uh, but I think I, you know, I'm kind of going around the horn answering a question. I think what it comes down to is when the gospel is accentuated and elevated and, and zeroed in on and made central, when we keep the main thing the main thing, Jesus has a way through his spirit to dispel all the cultural separations and differences without really losing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm hoping, I, I don't, if you were to have some people on your show that are from different cultural backgrounds, I would hope that they would say, we're here because of Jesus. We're not here because they cater to Slavics or to African-Americans. We're here because Jesus is the main thing. And when that happens, good things happen among the the differences of people. Right. That's really cool. I took a really long time to answer that question. Sorry about that. No, that was fantastic. So then do you guys have an Arabic pastor and a Slavic pastor? How does that work? We have an Arabic pastor, um, Rayad uh, Awabda, and his wife Minar are incredible people. They also have an Arabic center on Fulton Avenue where they they help people who are are fresh into the United States deal with insurance, with legal issues. Um, We have several people that go down there and teach ESL, um, do tutoring for homework for the children, all that kind of stuff. And Ra'ed and, and Menar just do an incredible job, and we're very grateful for them. We do not have currently a Slavic pastor. We have an individual who is an elder of the Slavic Fellowship, Andrew Romanov, and he does a great job. But but we, we probably do need a Slavic pastor um, over that ministry right now. We just haven't been able to find one just yet. So he, he's a volunteer that kind of— He's speaks. a volunteer, right. Yeah, he's a small business owner in the area. And he volunteers and just does a, a, a really great job. That's really cool. So I want to transition a little bit. Um, traditionally, churches seem to have taken a stand on one, two, maybe a handful of social justice issues, usually depending on the size of the church and what the congregation looks like. But um, we really love that trend and believe that's one of the church's many roles. So as a leader of your congregation, it seems like you guys have – taken a pretty significant and vocal stance on the support of the unborn. I heard you speak um, at the APC Gala for Life and just was um, really moved by by what you said and, and the stance that you guys have taken as a church and as the leader of your ministry. And so 
What does that stance look like for you guys and your congregation? What are you doing to communicate to your congregation that that social justice issue is a priority for your church? Well, we're, we're very much involved with Alternative Pregnancy Center. Um, and so we've got several of our, our mainly uh, women who are counselors there. Um, we continually try to keep APC in front of the congregation. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of their different fundraisers, but they have a walk for life uh, in May that we, we get a team, a, kind of a team arcade, and, and oh, probably 15 or 20 people walk that. We have a baby bottle drive uh, where people are take baby bottles home and fill them up with change. And it's a way to involve families and young children as well. Um, we support them. Um, my wife is the president of the board of APC. And, and so, you know, she, she keeps it in front of me just because of her involvement with APC. Uh, but we just love what Heidi Maskey's doing in leadership at that ministry. And, um, so we want to get, to be honest we want to get more involved with APC and the cause. Um, you know, when I can in the pulpit, I mention. Uh, the plight of the unborn, but not just the unborn, but these young mothers who have who have believed the lie that their life can somehow be better by losing their baby um, through death. It, it's just it's just insane. And so we we try to speak into that from the pulpit as much as we can um, and encourage people to be involved with that as well. The place where you heard me speak, uh, we, we try to get as many Arcadians involved there. Uh, to donate mon- money and be involved and be introduced to the ministry. Um, but I, you know, this is, this is the time is right. I think Zach to become even more vocal, not belligerently. So, but to become more vocal for the plight of the unborn, but also speaking for these young mothers who are believing the lies that Planned Parenthood gives out um, and, and really, being kind of a ministry where the church is ready. If, if Roe v. Wade is ever reversed and we pray it will be, uh, that means that our churches may have children with learning disabilities, with fetal alcohol syndrome, uh, meth babies. They're going to have some learning problems some behavior problems. Our churches have got to be oh, an oasis for that kind of thing. We've got to be ready for that. Um, if we're if we're going to champion the unborn and Roe v. Wade is reversed, that means the unborn will become born, and and we've got to be ready, be ready for that, mm-hmm. as well as the young mothers uh, and young fathers that are raising their children um, because they chose to obey the law. Uh, we've just got to we've got to have staffing ready for that. We've got to learn what it means to have certain learning disabilities because of uh, birthing situations. Um, and so that that's going to be part of the discipleship for the church. It's not enough, it's not enough to just say abortion is wrong. Um, we have to encourage adoption. We have to encourage foster care. We have to encourage uh, training our teachers and our children's workers what it means to to help and love and disciple young children who who may have some behavior issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to be ready for that. Uh, yeah, definitely. So you guys are. You're you're presenting that to your congregation from the pulpit and communicating that to them. Is that a, a consistent thing that comes up? Is it? I would say it's like? consistent. It's probably it's probably not as to be honest. It's not as frequent as it should be, uh, but it's consistent. Um, 
you know, I, I, you know, Sanctity of Life Sunday is coming up in January, and one of our associate pastors is going to be giving the sermon, uh, a, a pro-life sermon, uh, and not just pro-baby, but pro-mother and pro-father sermon. And um, but but throughout the year, you know, in the context of a sermon, of making a point or an illustration, um, I'll mention uh, uh, the abortion issue, um, those kinds of things. But to be honest with you, it's not as frequent as I'd like it to be. Hmm. So your guys' involvement with APC is is very much a partnership. You're it's rather than creating your own ministry out of RK Church for the support of the unborn, you're partnering with an organization that's already in existence and yes. allowing them to do what they are great at and maybe providing funds and time yeah. and whatever resources they need to, to do their job well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and they do it. Heidi runs that organization so well. And for us to do, to do something of our own is really reinventing the wheel and creating energy or, or using up energy that we can be able to use to partner with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so th- they train us, they encourage us, we encourage them and it's a great relationship. That's really cool. Yeah. We, we've done, we're doing a, quite a bit of work with APC. We handled their, uh, their new website build and kind of helping them think through what all of their campaigns might look like throughout the year visually and communicating to that audience. Yeah. Um, good. But one, one thing that you mentioned that, I th- that stuck out to me was, um, organizations like Planned Parenthood seem to be control or in control of the narrative that um, the unplanned pregnancy is something that uh, these parents are having lies poured into them from all over the place, whether it's Planned Pregnancy or or Planned Parenthood or, or another organization, but those organizations are controlling the narrative. And so what we're trying to do with APC and other organizations is take control of that narrative and, and kind of try to push back with truth. And I mean, science is on our side on this. And so yes. um, push back with that, with truth and not, not be combative with it, but try to control the narrative with that truth and allow truth to speak for itself. So absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with more with you, Zach. Um, and that's why, I mean, Something is it, it's it's almost superficial or silly, but this this walk for life that they do in May, I think it's May. Um, I I think that things like that intrude on the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they they put people who are in support of life out in a public way, and we're walking around. We've got T-shirts. We walk around a park, and that's about it. We've got loud music, and it's a celebration. And I I think. It's intrusive. It intrudes on the narrative and interrupts it and forces people to say there's another story that's a better story mm-hmm. than the story that's told by Planned Parenthood. And that story includes Jesus and that story includes life and not just life, but abundant life and not just for the mom, but for that child. And when we when we insert ourselves into the story, like you said, not being jerks about it or belligerent, but we just interrupt the story with a greater story, I, I really believe the power of gospel, the power of the gospel will just penetrate that and, and really dispel the darkness that the other story tells. Yeah, definitely. So you touched on this a little bit, um, 
But how are you guys working discipleship into that stance? You mentioned being ready for hopefully one day, Lord willing, Roe v. Wade being overturned. So being ready, obviously, with programs and and education for these children and uh, all these things that can support this change that hopefully comes. But how do we? How are you guys working discipleship, or what are some ways that we can think through working discipleship into these programs? Because um, it's one thing to save from one form of slavery into another, but how do we uh, bring Jesus into this conversation and allow Him to um, allow the gospel to do the gospel work? Boy, yeah, that's that's a question that will require probably fifty podcast episodes. <laughs> I, I would I would say this though I think the best and this is okay just accept this as a humongously broad statement okay <laughs> uh, I think that the church offers the best children's workers that the country has and I I don't mean to diminish school teachers uh, in public school private school or homeschool but within the church there are men and women who love children, who care for children, and they know how to do that because they've been doing it for decades. And what we've got to do is find ways to to encourage and disciple these people to expand their scope of ministry and make it much broader to include young moms and young fathers within the ministry as they care. Because the reality is, and part of it, part of it, Zach, is that we're we're kind of preparing for that now. Because of the neighborhood that our church is in right now, um, our church, our, our neighborhood is becoming lower and lower income families, and with that comes a pack of problems that many times happen in in uh, brings a set of dysfunction that that typically accompanies a lot of times lower income families, and so we're we're already there a little bit as far as arcade church is concerned, and I don't mean that in disparaging or insulting way, mm-hmm. um, but you know, we have children with learning deficiencies and disabilities. We have children who who don't see mom and dad through the week because they're both working jobs or the mom is working jobs. And so they're on our campus and and our student life ministry is already intricately involved in their lives. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking about in the next few years having uh, what is called a Say Yes program that we're, where we use our campus and we we basically go to the schools surrounding us and ask for the names of the at-risk children. And we find ways to get them on our campus every day after school, tutor them, uh, feed them a nourishing snack or, or lunch, um, uh, encourage them in their homework, you know, give them Jesus, show them Jesus, allow them to hear Jesus and, and walk through with them their entire school life. And so, what would happen is a third grader would come into the Say Yes program and we would track with them and, and, and tutor them on into high school with the intention of maybe preparing them for college. Uh, it's a program that we're involved with down in L.A. Uh, indirectly, and we, we see that there's great potential for that in our area on Marconi um, right now. And so we'll, we'll be having that conversation this coming year. We've got the facilities, we've got the people, we've got the finances. We just, we probably just need the vision for it. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So, 
how are you guys keeping your congregation excited and engaged around these ideas? Obviously, you're you're speaking about this from the pulpit and and sharing your uh, upcoming plans for some of these things. But are you are you speaking into it and within your small groups and having it be a conversation that's ongoing throughout the week rather than just on on Sunday? Is your congregation just already so involved and you've got more hands than you need? What does it kind of look like? I wish engaged. we had hands than we need. <laughs> I wish that was our problem. <laughs> well, it's not usually the case, but no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It's it's an interesting question to ask, Zach, because the people that are stepping forward and serving are the people who have been here for decades, and and I'm not sure that's typical. Um, I think it's typical that the older people are kind of the anchors that, that keep progress from moving. And what I'm seeing here at Arcade, and I, I didn't create it. I think past teaching, past leadership created this momentum. But Arcadians by nature have a mind and a heart to serve. And what they need is just someone to say sick them. And that's kind of what we've done the last few years. We have presented needs to people like SAC Food Bank, like APC, um, like certain elementary schools around here. And and then we just sit back and marvel because these people have already been discipled to serve. They just need to be told what direction to go. And and yeah, we always need more people, but I think I find that the people who are leading the way and setting the pace for service are the people that were well taught the scriptures by Lee Toms, Daniel Henderson, Jake Larson. Um, they, they have already been serving within the church and now, now the church is no longer isolated by a campus, but rather the church is now exploding into the community and they've caught that vision. So now they are off campus serving um, and loving and, and other, and the newer Christians are following them. And so it really has been, more of a permission giving type thing that we want you to serve. You don't have to serve on campus. We want you to serve elsewhere. And so go get them. And they do. That's really cool. And that's, that seems to be pretty unique. So well done to your past leadership and to you for continuing that. Absolutely. Yeah. I I really attribute the past elders, the past pastors for discipling the present con. I, I, I get the benefits of their labor. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Oh, cool. Well, Craig, this is about all the time we have, but this has been awesome. I think that this is going to bring a ton of value to our audience. So thank you so much for, for being on the show. Can I pray for you and, and Arcade Church? Oh, yes. Thank, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, of course. Father, I just lift up Craig as he um, leads Arcade Church. Lord, I pray that you would give him guidance, that you would uh, just speak into his life audibly and, and give him obvious direction for how to lead this congregation um, which is so beautifully multiracial and multicultural, Father. It's, it seems like it's just a really cool picture of um, what heaven will look like with all nations, tribes, and tongues. And so uh, we just thank you so much for what you've already done with Arcade Church and pray that you would continue to do uh, great and abundant things through them, serving APC, uh, serving the Unborn, serving the SAC Food Bank, and, and all the other programs that they're doing, Father. I just pray that the gospel would just be inundated in and throughout everything that they do and um, that your name would be glorified. Father, we just thank you so much for uh, what you're doing, for redeeming humanity to yourself. Thank you for your love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Zach.
Yeah. Thank you, Craig. How can people get a hold of you if they have more questions or want to learn more about what you guys are doing? Uh, well, they can go on our website, um, uh, www.rkchurchonline.com, and they can navigate through that. We also have an app for phones that they can download, um, and and that will keep them current as far as what's going on. Um, we have a mailing list. I send out a, a weekly blog or e-blast, and, they're, and they can go ahead and sign up for that on our website if they'd like to hear more from us. And then do you guys have a do you guys have a podcast for your sermons? I'm sorry? Do you guys have a podcast or audio recording of your sermons? We have audio and visual and video. Very cool. Yeah, so they can go on Vimeo or YouTube and watch or they can go on the podcast and listen more than that. And we also have a, a radio program uh with KFIA called The Gospel Way. I think it airs on Fridays at 4:30. Awesome. Well, thank you Craig. I again appreciate it so much and uh praying for you guys and wish you guys the best as you continue to follow the Lord's lead. Oh, thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. Love the conversation. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.